This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 25. If it's your first time with us today, we are walking through the the book of Acts. And so we have come to chapter 25, which is really all about God's protection, God's promises, and God's providence in our lives. Let's take a look at it together. We're going to look um, beginning with verse one and, and read uh, most of the, the chapter. We're going to go through about verse 19 uh, today. And so let's take a look at it together. Um, Acts 25, God's protection, promises, and providence. Acts 25, follow along with me in your copy of God's word um, in the 25th chapter of Acts. It says, now after three days, three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priest and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. If there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to these charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that this was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused 
met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody, for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, sometimes we can be so blind to the way that you are protecting us and the way that you are constantly fulfilling your promises to us. And we can be so clueless about how you are providentially working all things together for our good and for your glory in our lives. We see all of these things in this passage. And so we pray that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. Thanks for preparing our heart uh, for your word through baptism and prayer and just the glorious music that we've been a part of. And, And now we pray that you would lock our attention on, on your word, on the scripture, that you would, would open it for us and that you would speak to us through it and, and equip us now to, to go out and be your people. And so these are crucial minutes together and we, we, we want to we take advantage of them. Give us hearts that are open and vulnerable and transparent and just ready for what you want to do in our lives right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when, uh, when we saw the horrible images from uh, Charlottesville of, of uh, neo-Nazis marching and chanting, Jews will not replace us, and holding their torches uh, Friday night before last, it was a reminder of sort of nighttime rallies that Hitler used to stage in Nazi Germany and a reminder of a holocaust that took the lives of millions of people. But you know, Hitler was really not the first person, the first anti-Semite who wanted to wipe out the Jewish people. In the Old Testament, we read about such a man, and his name was Haman. We read about him in the book of Esther. And if you've never had a chance to sit down and just read the book of Esther, take a few minutes. It only takes a few minutes to read it. You can read the whole thing in just a few minutes. It's fascinating. Utterly fascinating how, how God uses this young woman, Esther, uh, as his instrument in, in, in the protection of his, of his people. But one of the many fascinating things about the book of Esther is that the name of God 
is never mentioned (laughs) throughout the whole book of Esther. You never see the name of God, and yet God is the main character in the book of Esther. And that's because in Esther, God is like uh, an unseen hand that's just kind of pulling the strings and protecting and fulfilling his promises and providing for his people the entire time. You you know, sometimes we are acutely aware of God's presence in our lives. Sometimes not as much so. But you know what? As believers, when one day we'll look back and see just sort of the grand sweep of our lives, we're going to see his hand of protection and provision and him fulfilling his promises to us all the way through. That's what we see in Acts 25. So let's take a look at it um, together. The first thing that we see here is, is God's protection. So let's take a look at verses 1 through 3. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he Uh, summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So last week in chapter 24, we saw that Felix was the Roman governor stationed at Caesarea and that Paul appeared before Governor Felix. Now Felix is gone. There's a new Roman governor in place and his name is Festus. And he begins his time in office by going to Jerusalem to meet there with the Jewish leaders. And and, and the first thing that he finds out is that they are uh, furious with one of their kinsmen, one of their fellow Jews, this, this man named Paul. And so they want Festus to have Paul sent from Caesarea, where he's being kept in prison, they want him to have Paul sent from Caesarea to Jerusalem, but what they really want is the opportunity to assassinate Paul along the way. Well, fortunately, Festus seems to smell a rat, and so basically what he says is, uh, instead of um, Paul being sent to you, why don't you come back to Caesarea with me? And there you can present your case. So we see in verses 4 and 5, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So, what do we see here? We see God's protection of his servant. But it really wasn't Festus that was protecting the apostle Paul, right? This is 
God that is protecting Paul. You see, God had a plan. God's plan was that Paul was going to end up in Rome, the capital of the empire, bearing witness. And until that plan was fulfilled, Paul was going to be under God's protection. He would, he would absolutely not be harmed. Why? Because God fulfills his promises and God fulfills his plans. Job chapter 42 and verse 2 tells us very clearly, uh, God says, uh, Job says there to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It can't be stopped. God's purposes, God's plans will prevail. They cannot be thwarted. Uh, Again, uh, Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. My son went back to college yesterday. It seems like he was in uh, his car seat, you know, not too long ago. And I vividly remember the day when, I don't know if he was still in a car seat, but he couldn't sit in the front seat at this point. So it was Caleb and I riding along, and he's in the back seat, and we're having this conversation about, and I'm, try, I'm trying to communicate to this little boy that God is sovereign, you know, that, that God is in control of all things. And, and so I, I use this particular verse, Psalm 115, Three, and I quoted the verse to him, and I was trying to explain it to him. You know, God is in charge. I mean, he does, he does all that he pleases. And uh, my little boy just popped up and said, it means he does what he wants to do. <laughs> just kind of a mic drop <laughs> moment because he had just said it in such a, no seminary professor could have said it, you know, any clearer, okay? God is in control, okay? No purpose of his can be thwarted. He does what he pleases. And God's plan at this point was that Paul was not gonna be harmed. And he was not going to be harmed. It was not his time to to call Paul home. One day that was going to happen, but it wasn't going to happen before he got to Rome. Recently, uh, I read Arthur Herman's new biography of of General Douglas MacArthur. And uh, one of the things that he pointed out was that during World War I, as a young officer, MacArthur led uh, all of these incredibly uh, dangerous assaults on enemy positions uh, where the chances of survival were uh, fairly slim, but he not only did that once, he did it multiple times and was unharmed. Uh, And again, in the Second World War, when he was, you know, a a supreme commander in the Pacific, when he didn't have to be exposed to enemy fire at all, uh, he would kind of 
put himself out, out there, and uh, especially in the, the famous photo that we've all seen of MacArthur wading ashore in the Philippines in his khakis and his Ray-Bans and his hat. And, uh, but what we don't see in that photo is that there were Japanese snipers that were still uh, back in the tree line. But uh, MacArthur just believed all of his life that um, God was preserving his life for a purpose and that his life was simply not going to end until uh, that was fulfilled. And see, the reason why Paul, as we've seen in Acts, can just go into city after city after city where he knows that at the very least... Severe persecution is coming, and sometimes it results in beatings and stonings, and he's constantly exposed to death, is because he just deeply believes that until God's purpose is done with him, um, that he is going to be under the, the protection of God. Now listen, this has implications for us. First of all, it means that as believers, we don't have to fear death. Because A, it's not going to happen before God says it's going to happen. And B, when it does happen, we're ready for it. This Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at Philippians uh, 2 in our, our Bible study. And one of the things that we're going to see there is that Paul says, my, my ultimate desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So when that time comes, I mean, we're going to depart and be with Christ. I mean, we're going to be absent from the body, present with uh, the Lord. And so, you know, if we know Jesus, uh, we don't have to... Uh, fear that. We're ready for that. If you don't know Jesus, then friend, there's reason to fear. Because your life could end at any point, and Jesus, or Jesus could return at any point, and you're not prepared for either event. And you need to be prepared. You need to get ready, and you can be. Because Jesus died for sinners like you and me paid the penalty for our sins, rose again that we might have eternal life. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Trust him as your savior. He will not turn you away. Come to him. You can be ready. And we don't have to fear death if we're ready. But we see here God's protection, don't we? Um, second, we see something here about God's promises. God's promises. Let's look beginning at verse 6. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. 
Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now, what this means is that Paul is going to end up in Rome. And this is the fulfillment of the promise of God. You see, Paul is not being sent to Rome to stand before Caesar really because of the order of Festus, the decree of Festus. He's going to Rome because of the decree of God. It was God's plan for Paul to end up bearing witness in the capital of the Roman Empire. When, when Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and people were about to tear him apart, God came to him one night and he made this promise. Let's look at it, Acts 23. When the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. I want you to know we have a promise-keeping God. In fact, the whole Bible, from beginning to end, really is, is based on the promises of God. When, when people ask sometimes, you know, how were people in the Old Testament saved? They were saved the same way we're saved, by Jesus. Okay? They trusted in God's promises and looked forward to the coming of the Savior. We look back to the Savior, but no one is saved apart from Jesus. It's really all about trusting God's promises. Tim, Tim Keller is a pastor in, in New York City, and he, he talks about how as a, as a young Christian, he was trying to make sense of the connection between the Old Testament and the New, because sometimes there can seem like there's a, a disconnect that's there, and he's trying to make sense. How, how does this kind of all fit together? And so uh, he was a, a student at that point, college student, and he was at this college, this retreat, and so he, he asked the question to the man who was, was uh, leading the, the retreat. And it was a, a British New Testament scholar, uh, J. Alec uh, Moyer. Um, and uh, and Dr., Dr. Moyer uh, said, to, said to Tim Keller, he said, well, well, think about this, okay. Suppose you were an Israelite under Moses. How would you give your testimony, right? Because we're here and as, as, as Christians and we're, we're learning to give our faith story, you know, give our testimony. Suppose you were an Israelite under Moses. How would you, how would you give your faith story? How would you give your, your testimony? Um, and he said this. So imagine how the Israelites under Moses would have given their testimony to someone who asked for it. What would they have said? They would have said something like this. We were in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death, 
But God came to us with a promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God, took shelter under the blood of the lamb, and he led us out. Now we are on our way to the promised land. So he will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. (laughs) How do you give your testimony as a believer? We were under the sentence of death, right? We were in bondage. We were in slavery to sin. But what did we do as believers? We took shelter under the blood of the lamb because Jesus died for us, took our sins upon himself, shed his blood for us, right? We, we take shelter under his blood. We trust that he died and rose again for us and, and now he's delivered us from that bondage. He's delivered us from that slavery and we're on our way to the promised land. We're, we're not there yet, we haven't arrived yet, but we're on our way there and until we get there, God's gonna keep every single promise that he's made to us. Romans 8.32 says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so if God has already given the greatest thing, he's already given Jesus for us, the greatest promise, then don't you think that along the way on our journey that he's gonna keep all of his promises to you? He will, (laughs) and you can bank on it. He's a promise-keeping God. So we see God's protection, God's promises. Third, God's providence. God's providence. Verse 13. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted uh, Festus. So, Agrippa is Herod Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa. He was the last of the Herods that we read so much about. Bernice is not his wife. She's actually his sister and his consort, so this is really morally uh, messed up. Um, But he's the king, and God, once again, is just providentially putting Paul right in the position that he had promised that he would be in. You know, Jesus in in Matthew says about the early believers in Matthew 10, 18, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So what have we seen in chapters 24 and 25? Paul has been dragged before governors, two of them, Felix, Festus, and now he is appearing before this king, Agrippa, to bear witness. And so God has providentially preserved his life to bring him 
to this moment. And, and God has providentially placed him in this position, just like he's providentially placed you and me to live at this place and in this time and where you work and where you go to school and in the neighborhood where you are. God has put you there. Don't resent where you are. God has put you there to be his man, his woman, his boy, his girl, to bear witness. Verses 14 and following. And as they stay there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered that the man be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Without knowing it, Festus has gone straight to the heart of the gospel. It's about one who was dead and who is now alive. This tells us something about the message of Paul and the message of the early believers, doesn't it? In what they proclaimed, whether it was publicly or friend talking to friend, they got to the heart of the matter. It's about Jesus who was dead and who is now alive. What does Paul say when he sums up the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15? He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And Festus, even though he's a pagan, he has, he has gotten what Paul and what these early believers are, are, are speaking about. It's about Jesus who was dead and who we proclaim to be alive because he is alive. That, that tells us about the clarity of, of the message of the early believers. I mean, sometimes we can get sidetracked, we can go down side streets or whatever. Listen, if we don't talk to people about the death of Jesus for sinners and his resurrection from the dead, we have not proclaimed the gospel. That's what it's about. And so, and so Festus, this, this pagan guy, you know, he hasn't embraced it, but he does understand. This is what it's all about. You see, Paul and the early believers, there was an urgency to get right to the heart of the matter and talk about Jesus. Talk about his work, his death for our sins, 
his resurrection from the dead. And, and that's what we should be urgent to tell people about. Um, this painting is uh, one of my favorites. It's uh, by uh, Eugene Bernan, and it's called uh, Peter and John Running to the Tomb. And one of the things that strikes me about this painting is the urgency that you see on the faces of these men. They've heard about that the tomb is empty and, and now they're rushing, they're rushing to the tomb. And when they get there, they're gonna see that it is indeed empty. Peter and John running to a tomb, an empty tomb, resurrection. <laughs> okay, this is what we should be urgent about rushing to. First of all, in our own lives, we should continually go back to the gospel. That's what we see in the ordinance of baptism, right? Somebody's lowered beneath the water, they're raised up in symbolism that we're, we're raised, Jesus was buried, risen again, that's what's happened in our lives. The old is gone, it's, it's, it's dead, it's buried and we are raised to walk in newness of life, okay? It's what we see in, in the Lord's Supper and the other ordinance, right? It's about, it's about, the, it's about the, the gospel, right? So in our own lives, let's continually preach that gospel to ourselves. Continually remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. One of the things where we, we trip up the most in the Christian life is that we forget, we get spiritual amnesia, and, and we, we aren't mindful moment by moment of, of the work of Christ and what he's done for us and who we are in him. That, that, that the old is gone, we have a new identity, we're new people, we've been raised to walk in newness of life, we have this new life in him. Continually preach that message to yourself. The other thing that we're called to do is to continually share that message with other people with the people around us who are lost, who are confused, who have all kinds of misconceptions about what Christianity is. Let's, let's be urgent to share that message with them. And if you don't know him today, be urgent to know him. Rush, run to the empty tomb today. <laughs> Because there's a Savior who loves you and died for you and rose for you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your great love that gave your son. And as we just reflect before him for a couple of minutes, where are you at today in a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Have you turned to Jesus in repentance and faith? Do you know him as your savior? Run to him today. He will not turn you away. Run to him. Those of us who know Christ need to continually run back to him each and every day. We're preaching that message to ourselves 
what Jesus has done, who we are in him because of grace. And we're called to share that. We have people in our lives that need to hear it, family members, friends, people that we go to school with, people that we work with, people that are in our sphere of influence, that they need to hear the gospel in clarity. And God has providentially placed you in their sphere of influence. You're the one that God wants to use. Some of you have names of people written down. Um, pray for those folks right now. Pray that God would give you that, the boldness and the love for them that you need to share the gospel with them. So Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts right now. We, we thank you so much for your protection and the fulfillment of your promises and your providence in our lives. Lord, you are constantly at work. And so Lord, help us to go forth and to live for you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're here today and you just need prayer, maybe God's talking to you about, about knowing him, uh, you wanna know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk with you, pray with you uh, before you leave um, today. I'm gonna be right here at the front now and after our service, I'd love, or any, any of our pastors just would, would love to come alongside and talk with you. If you're here today and, and God's speaking to you about, um, about making this your church family, we would love to talk with you about that or if you, you need to be baptized as a believer, Again, let's sit down, let's talk about it. There's a need in your life just for prayer. Uh, we don't want you to leave here today without having the opportunity uh, to talk with someone and to pray with someone. And so it's open to you now. We'll be here um, after the service as well as God moves in our lives. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. 
If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.